to the first episode of Standing on Our Heads podcast. Uh, I am Matthew Thorpe with my co-host, my father, Mitchell Thorpe. And it sounds like a staged question, but how are you doing today? I'm doing good. You're there in Brooklyn. Yes, and um, you're in Mexico. The, uh, southern Pacific coast of Mexico at Ridley's Bar. There we go. Closed. Yes, and so you, uh, you are living in uh, a village... Barra de Potosí, which is near Zihuatanejo, <clears throat> which I feel like everybody just knows from Shawshank Redemption, but uh, it's funny because I didn't, I've never seen the movie, but every time I mention that's where you live, that's what I'm told, um, but I decided to name, or we decided to name it uh, Standing on Our Heads because that is a term that you... Uh, had said to <clears throat> had said to me before on our on our road trips and things like that and it just you know it would be like oh we have a stretch of 300 miles to drive and you would say oh we can do that stand on our heads and later in life I've taken that as a structure to just feel like you know when things get complicated whether you meant it like this or not but when things get complicated or things get tough um, you know we can we can accomplish it we're stronger than we think we are and things are definitely uh, tough right now. Um, so yeah, we need to we need to stand on our heads right now. Right, and so we're um, you know we grew up or I grew up with uh, a lot of politics, you know, being part of the discussion, um, being part of like important to be aware of your surroundings, and. Um, I'm kind of curious. We touched on it. We had a practice run last week, but I'm kind of more curious to dig a little bit deeper of, you know, your political awareness growing up. You grew up in Williamsburg, Virginia, and um, born in the late 60s, but uh, I'm just kind of curious of, like, you know, you're in school, middle school, high school, at home, wherever, like, was it a part of conversation with your with my grandparents, your parents, your sisters, your friends? Like, like, was it something that you knew of and you heard parents talking about, but you didn't really touch on? Like, I'm just kind of, were you, was it in your it scope? It was something that the adults in my family talked about a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, my parents, uh, my aunt and uncles lived next door, and, you know, we saw my uh, mom's parents, my grandparents lived in Williamsburg also. My grandfather in particular was very interested in politics. Mm-hmm. And it was just something that was um, talked about a lot at you know family get-togethers at Thanksgiving or Christmas or whatever. And as a kid, you were, I was exposed to it, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. not necessarily participating in the conversation as a, as a younger kid, but definitely aware of what was going on. And Watergate was a big event when I was younger. And uh, something that my parents and everybody, uh, all the adults in my family were really interested in, followed very closely. Uh, none of them were fans of Nixon. Right. Um, so it was it was just something I was really exposed to. Um, one kind of interesting thing about growing up in Virginia that I hadn't thought of before, just kind of popped into my head, was um, I think I saw in person every president um, that was while they were president uh, during my childhood. They all came to Williamsburg for one reason or another. And um, it just wasn't that unusual to get to see 
right. uh, one of the presidents coming down for a weekend, and we even have like hear a lot about the G20 summits that mm-hmm. happen now. Um, they used to be called summits of industrialized nations, and we had one of those in Williamsburg and. What Colonial like, Williamsburg being like a destination for like it's, uh, I don't know. It's close to Washington D.C. Uh, it's a historic place, so they can the president at the time can kind of show off to the visitors. But right, I was saying they can go to Jamestown, they can go to Yorktown. It's like representative of revolution, or you know, and and the yeah. fe- colonization of our country. I, I remember when I was a kid that the Shah of Iran came to visit. And oh, really? Lots of, lots of college kids protesting there um, in front of the house where he stayed. But anyway, it was. Um, Politics were definitely something I was exposed to. My mm-hmm. sisters aren't particularly interested in politics, right? Um, but it, but it's something that did interest me, and not something I really talked to my friends a whole lot about. But it was definitely something that was in the house. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad always would go out and get the Sunday New York Times at the drugstore in town, and you know, kept up on um, both my parents. My mom, you know, was very interested too, and just something that they were interested in I kind of picked up somewhere along the way right I mean something that's kind of that I feel lucky for so it was definitely like like uh so it was like kind of like a seed that was planted like kind of always there like there were books in the house uh literature in the house and then as you got older you were kind of able to feed your self-interest a little bit more um just as far as awareness and like something that I find lucky that I'm lucky about is I I don't I I don't know many people who have who had both sets of grandparents who their personal ideologies might be some at sometimes confusing um, or maybe counterintuitive to their voting pattern. But I have all four of my grandparents all were Democrat, and it's not uh, common. I feel, I feel, you know, well, I shouldn't say it's not common, but I don't know many that they can say, you know, every elderly person in their family doesn't vote Republican because... Right. Um, and I think they both came to it from different, um, you know, different places in their, in their life growing up. Um, my mom was a depression child and her father had a really hard time, mm-hmm. lost his business and, um, you know, the programs that Roosevelt put in place were really important to her. Uh, and right. then I think your grandparents on your mom's side, uh, they're being Jewish. Mm-hmm. I think that that has a big impact on, you know, how they came to their political beliefs. Right. My father growing up, I think was a little more of a Republican, but he met my mom and, you know, fixed his ways as he did, as he did. <laughs> yeah. He, uh, he definitely wasn't going to rock her boat too much, but, but what's, no. what's funny, I mean, you know, it's like history, American history happened in the blink of an eye, and it also sometimes feels like it's been too long in a sense of our attention span because, you know, like you, when you touched on the Depression and, you know, FDR putting in the um, New Deal and a bunch of social programs, we have proof that social programs work in benefit of it's our the citizens and the economy right and you know and and because it it happened just long enough now past our attention span there are a lot of people that can't remember that social programs 
is not just handouts, but actually stimulation for the economy. And, cause and some of the social programs like Social Security um, have become so ingrained, you know, in people's lives that they don't, they just assume it's a given that it will always be there. Right. And, you know, it's like, you know, get your government hands off of my Social Security. Right. And you want to say, well, wait a minute, where, what do you... Who do you think runs the program? Who do you think invented the program? Well, it, you know, it's 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 funny you mention that to go on a small tangent. It's like I like, you know, you like I grow up my generation. I'm, I feel like the most most I couldn't tell you until, you know, I went to college what Social Security even was. Like I just knew it's money you get when you're old or after you retire. But like right. it's it's funny where it actually works, you know congruently with the economy because you have to work in order to receive it like there's a there's a show uh called shameless uh it was a uk show that then uh, there's a united there's a u.s version um is everything okay yeah cool um there's a u.s version uh william h macy is the the, the lead actor the star of it or one of it's kind of an ensemble cast but point being He's he, his character. Are you familiar with the show? No. His character is like pretty much any time you ask me on the podcast, do I know a particular show? I'm gonna probably right. say no. Well, I know you know who William H Macy is, so I do. Um, he was in the movie Fargo, which was really fun. Oh, a ten out of ten on a laugh scale. But uh, but he his kind of character is he's like this kind of alcoholic, like ho- not homeless because he has a home, but he has like eight kids but has never parented them the oldest sister had to parent like he's just kind of like the worst guy in the world always running a scam always doing something to make an extra penny to buy drugs or alcohol or whatever but he uh i think it's like season eight it's a very it's still running it's like incredibly long but it's uh like season eight or something he tries to go quote unquote like straight and cash in his actual social security because he's always you know, checked in fake IDs, this, that, like, run a bunch of scams off of, like, you know, I don't know, looking at the obituary, somebody died, he's gonna try to cash their social security, um, but he's like, no, all right, I'm gonna do it myself, and then, long story short, uh, they're like, you've never worked a day in your life, like, you don't get any, and then, so he spends, you know, the rest of the episode, like, you know, uh, these people are getting government handouts and me, you know, I've slaved every day working hard to supply for my, I don't get a dollar. And it's, it's just kind of like what I'm point being is like, people don't even know what these programs are and how like people think it's just free money, but it works with the economy. It works with uh, getting money into the system. Um, And it's paid for by, by the people that are working and by the employers. Yeah. It's it's the total Uh, cycle, but it's, it's socialism if you know you want to look at it that way like, right well uh, it's a program that you get based partly on what you put into it but partly on need i mean there's the whole disability side of it mm-hmm. that it, it serves people that you know if a young parent dies their children get uh some support or if you're disabled and you can't work then you get some support right so it's you know it's a program based on what you put into it but it's also based on need no, exactly, and um, you know, there's a funny quote or tweet going around uh, that's you know, there's two like we're definitely in late stage capitalism, which is the failure of 
you know, it's where cap like I feel like we're in a you know we're in a situation where we're late stage capitalism where a new system has to take place, like you know the 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 capitalist version of our country as we know it is clearly not working. And there's a quote going around that says, you know, it's funny that every time capitalism fails, we need socialism to fix it. Right. And that, you know, and there and there's a happy medium. It doesn't have to be, you know, one versus the other, but it's like there should be socialist programs to back the points of capitalism that just clearly don't work. And right. for the benefit for I mean and they might have, but as we evolve and change and economies you know, I mean, technology is a totally different... Like, things change and things adapt. And I feel like a lot of people in government refuse to have uh, adaptations with the evolution of the of society. And Right, but I, even the whole concept of it's capitalism versus socialism is not even close to correct because mm-hmm. business is not pure capitalist. Right. I mean, they are socialized entities in many cases with tax breaks mm-hmm. um, you know you look at like an Amazon that's talking about building a distribution center in some particular part of the country and the government falls all over themselves saying that they'll get tax breaks or they'll get you know some sort of um, infrastructure made for them or mm-hmm. you know, some kind of benefit that's paid for out of the taxes that other businesses and other individuals pay with some future idea that somehow um, the success of Amazon in that new location will help. Right. Or, you know, the oil and gas industry, I mean, they're heavily subsidized, or the airline right. industry, or the uh, electric and, uh, electric grid and the electric utilities. I mean, there's businesses all over that are, you know, socialized, businesses that don't pay any taxes like Amazon right. that, you know, make billions of dollars. Right. And, I mean, I don't know what the title for that is it's not really socialism but it's their government supported well i think that's a good point that you make it's like it's not one or the other in a sense of like so many of the arguments especially political arguments are you're this and i'm that and then there's no gray area and it's like okay well you know that's every issue that we have in this country is based down to that and you know it's just like I don't think it's not, it's anti, the most patriotic thing you can do is say something about your own country isn't working. I mean, it's part of our Bill of Rights. It's the freedom of speech. It's just, it's to question your government. And, and that's important because that's how you hold them accountable. And that's, I mean, that's the whole reason why we elect people. And, and it's funny to, to trail back toward my mom's parents. It's like, I don't know, like they are incredibly much farther left than any of their friends and it, like they like grandma my my mom's mom I, I i call them grandma and grandpa grandma straight up has said like oh there's just certain people that i refuse to have lunch with because i end up screaming at them right <laughs> and and it's just i don't it's it's just funny to because they're both my grandfather is 81 she's 76 and to be as politically vocal in such a younger progressive mindset is I think very inspiring because it just shows me that it's not like a pipe dream 
that, that they're that like they firmly believe like they they backed Bernie not just because you know he was Jewish too or whatever but you know they believe in these programs and they believe in progressivism pro, pro, I don't know, progression <laughs> but um but it's but it's a, a statement of a person's character right um because they oh sorry as they <laughs> as they get more material wealth and you know your grandparents are comfortable oh uh, uh, yeah i was gonna say they're they're very wealthy and it's but started but started very modestly right and you know it says something about a person's character that as they gained more material wealth that it didn't change how they felt you know a lot of people if they don't have much they're strong believers in big government and government right. programs and uh, government help um, not necessarily handouts but just you know government making sure the economy is doing the best it can do right and as they achieve more material wealth and all of a sudden it becomes more important to not pay as much in taxes or right you know not to be burdened with some sort of regulation that infringes on their business or you know they become more about me and less about us and something so i think it says something about them and other people like them but it also causes friendships maybe to stray apart as right one person goes in one direction and another goes in the other or stays true to the direction they came from. Well, something that they do, um, not to dive too deep on them, it's just I've I've been, you know, there's been things they've said and decisions they've made throughout, you know, like anybody that you question, but overall I've been very impressed, especially lately, with how politically knowledgeable and active they are. I mean, I've always had good conversation with them. Um, just as I had had with your parents, Granddaddy Phil and Grandma Bobby, when Grandma Bobby was still with us and they were a little more sound of mind, you know, I had the same types of conversations with them. Um, so I was fortunate in that sense to be able to speak with adults of many generations on kind of how to expand my knowledge. But the thing that I appreciate about my grandfather especially is he, when he hears like, oh, you know, kids aren't working hard enough or something and the rent that's you know and he under you know he was like oh like it you know it makes sense even though matthew made stupid choices like it does make sense that he's like you know in a tough spot because he's in a tough city no matter how hard he works and right. and and it wasn't and it's not an excuse for him to say i'm just gonna give him money but it was the difference is don't band-aid the solution don't just throw money but it's it's the ability to have empathy and to right. say, you know, whether or not I agree with your choices, I understand your plight. And that right. is such a, a difference of, I feel, unfortunately, a lot of people in his age category um, that just, I think, don't look, don't peel the onion. They don't look a little bit deeper. And well, it was just a given for generations from, say, you know, post-World War II right. until... I guess maybe my generation that you know you could reasonably expect you were going to have a better life and probably easier life than your parents right um not true for everybody obviously but for a person that grew up in a pretty privileged background you know and had access to education and all that that you know your life is going to be better and easier than your parents my generation is the first one that is not right and it's so many different things it's you know I think I was telling you one time that when I first started my, like out of college, you know, professional career mm -hmm. that, 
um, I got health insurance and then my next job it was an HMO or PPO where you know we had to contribute make a copay and if I talk to somebody like my dad or or your your mom's parents you know you talk about copay or something they're like well what is that how does that work right. you know, I've never heard of that before and now it's if you have insurance offered in your job at all you're lucky right and you think like wow my job offers you know insurance and I only have to pay what is a lot of money now right you, know, you think you think you're lucky I am just very um, very sick and tired of the idea that millennials are lazy because granted there are in every generation it's not new to have some lazy people and just expect their parents or whoever to you know help them forever but because you know when I hear that I'm like well I don't know which millennials are talking about because pretty much everybody I know is working more than one job incredibly stressed out can barely afford regular grocery and this is not just like just because of COVID but my entire uh, you know I'm still very young but since I've been an adult like working multiple jobs having incredible student loan debt having can barely afford groceries and just are stretched so thin and still trying to pursue something that they enjoy and they say oh well they just complain to the government it's like, no, we're holding our government accountable. We're also protesting. We're also trying to vote. We're all, like, I think we're the, to me, I think my generation is some of the most hardworking, patriotic people in existence. <laughs> and, but it's just it's a different economy. So you look at the, you know, I don't know what the median age of Congress is, but it's, 52. it's pretty old. I actually, I, it's yeah. 52. Okay. Um, I think. Yes. Well, there's a lot of people in Congress that in any other profession, they would have been gently asked to right. go home and not come back anymore. Um, but, you know, they have this, I think, uh, idea that, okay, you're 18 years old, you graduated from high school, and maybe you don't want to go to college uh, because you just don't want to go to college or mm -hmm. you don't have, you know, your family's not pushing you to go to college, whatever. So you just get a job at the local, um, you know, Ford factory get a job at the local coal mining company or you get a job at the local um, whatever big industry happens to be in your right. your city, you know, the paper plant, whatever. And those jobs aren't there anymore through automation and through changes like, you know, coal mining, for example, is not the industry that it used to be. But, you know, a Ford plant, every Ford car was put together by hand right. in the beginning and then slowly it became more and more automated and now it's just people watching the machinery mm -hmm. you know it's it's i mean that's not a hundred percent true but the number of jobs the number of employees you need to have to run a factory or just it's just such a small thing so if you're coming out of high school and you're like well i don't want to go to college i want to get a good job where i can have middle class life and be afford to mm -hmm. be able to afford to buy a house and raise kids like those jobs are gone right well and i think that's where you know we need to adapt in a sense of you know, I think we need to have more trade schools. I think trade schools need to be free, but I think the trades that are taught also need to be updated, you know? And and I don't know what the answer is there, but, you know, there should be... I mean, I, I think all public schools should be free, but, um, you know, that's that's me and, and Bernie, essentially. 
Um, well, I think, I mean, just to disagree a little bit, so I don't say it right to everything you say, but um, <laughs> I think, you know, if you want to go to your local community college, I think that should be free or pretty close to free as long as you do your schoolwork and get, you know, right. reasonably good grades. If you want to go to, you know, University of Pennsylvania or Drexel or, you know, a, a more prestigious school, I guess, um, a school that you go away to, I think that there, I think you have to pay something for that. That makes um, sense. I guess I'm, I'm also, I'm also stemmed up with, I'm, you know, it's, it's, maybe I'm looking too acutely at the current situation of, you know, I feel for all the students that are paying full price right now for university. And, and that's a whole different conversation. Right. And I mean, that's, that's outrageous. That's, right. That, you know, my buddy James, who is in his last year of law school, is paying full price for UNC Chapel Hill Law School, and he cannot go. <laughs> and, right. And, and you, you see what's happening in some of these other schools, like these SEC schools that want to play football. Right. It becomes totally obvious that they are football programs who happen to teach kids on the side. Right. They're, no, it's, they're, <laughs> they're, they're football with uh, teaching as a side hustle. Like, yeah, it's... Yeah, I mean, they're not... That's a whole different category of right. problem. Well, if you want to dive into a problem... Uh, so essentially what we are going to be doing a lot every week is, and there might be certain weeks where we just kind of have maybe a singular focus, bring a guest on or something, but a lot of times I, I, you know, we're going to try to cover kind of what's happening currently, how it affects us or reminds us of things that might have happened in the past, what we can do to make them better. And I want to get into the post office, which I never in my life ever thought that I would have to discuss the post office. I find it incredibly boring, yet I love postal workers. I think it's essential to, obviously, our our country. I, it was always just a non-factor. Like, I, I agreed with it so much that I found it, like, a non-conversation. It's just, it's the post office. And postal workers work very hard, and they're I think the Postal Service has a 91% approval rating. In the, like, everybody likes them. Friendly neighborhood postal worker. You know they work incredibly hard. Rain, sleet, snow, whatever. But why you never even have to debate it. But this is a perfect example <laughs> of people's skewed viewpoints. People on the right, they're skewed viewpoints where, they, where they're trying to make the argument that the post office loses, post office loses money. It's not a business. The U.S. Postal Service <laughs> loses money. It's like, well, how do you measure um, the value of something like school or the military. They don't make any money either. Yeah, you could... I mean, the military loses money too. Quote, if you're going to use the same... Right, and it's not intended to make money, and it's like an... It used to be... The Postal Service used to be something that this country was proud of, that, you know, wow, we have this Postal Service that if you live in the middle of the bush in Alaska... Mm -hmm. A plane flies out and delivers a, a letter to you for the same price as if, you know, you sent a letter to your neighbor across the street in Brooklyn. Right, because like, it's in our Constitution that every American will receive their... I mean, George Washington wrote it in our Constitution. He's the one that made the Postal Service... I'm paraphrasing the term, but in like 1775, before the Declaration of Independence, he wrote 
that uh, it's illegal to open someone else's mail. Everybody is has the right to receive mail. Yeah, I'm not I'm not that down on the history of, to that point, but I just know the Pony Express and. Well, I I found it out recently. I just find it so you know crazy that like it's 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 been around. It's the fact that it's been around longer than the Declaration of Independence, and it is the highest approval rating of every government uh, sponsored uh, department right. ever. So, in any normal administration, if we were in this current situation where all of a sudden uh, the mail-in ballots or absentee ballots or whatever you want to call them, which they're all the same thing, mm -hmm. if it was an issue that the Postal Service didn't have enough resources, they would have some sort of a task force to figure out what resources were necessary how could you secure ballots? How could you make sure that they're accurately counted? And how can we just make sure it happens? Right. So that people are safe and they can vote. This administration takes the opposite tack. Mm -hmm. I mean, well, it's, it's funny because, I mean, there's no evidence at all that, you know, mail-in ballot, mail absentee voting is not safe. Um, you know, the argument of... You know, I think Trump said, well, well, a dead guy re received an absentee ballot. And then the immediate response is, okay, well, then did the, did the dead guy send one in? No. Right. Like, it might, it, okay, yeah. I'm not going to argue that it might get mailed to wrong places, but then you have to look at were those wrong places returning them. No. Right. And there's something I think, um, I might get the numbers a little bit but the wrong, but the point is still the same is um, in from 2000 to 2019 in New York State there were a total of around 16 million absentee voting in all elections in those 19 years and so and and that you know cuz and that obviously the number is smaller because i mean the majority of people vote in person but just over that quarter time 16 million New Yorkers voted absentee ballots, right? Right. And in those 19 years, 16 million absentee voting, the amount of times the ballot was incorrect or suspect of fraud, eight. Right. That's it. And it's it's a negligent, non-discriminatory. It just it, it's a, it's a it, it's marginal. It has no effect. Right. But it's just, but it's like requiring IDs to vote in person. It's they're they're creating a solution for a problem that doesn't exist. Right. You know, and what they're trying to do is suppress voting. Yes. I don't want to say it, but that's Well Trump you know Trump kinda said it. Well he says all the stuff out loud that he's supposed to keep to himself. He kinda yeah, he said it. But you know, so the thing that is disturbing and I'm glad that about, supposedly Congress is coming back early, um to discuss DeJoy it. is supposed to testify on Friday. DeJoy is supposed to testify. So, Louis DeJoy is a major Trump voter. Or, uh, well, not that, but I meant to say donor. But, of course, he voted for him, too. Um, has no... Absentee. Yeah, well, Trump and Ivanka apparently recently ordered their Florida absentee ballot. Yeah. And... He, I think you mean Melania, but same difference. Yeah, well... And, and apparently, also, uh, they're in North Carolina. I don't know if you saw this. But people who ordered their absentee ballot, all over the absentee ballot are quotes and pictures of Donald Trump. 
Yeah, I'm not sure. I did see that. I'm not sure if that's something that the RNC or some PAC supporting Trump sent out. Uh, just like, I don't think that's a government mailing. I, I have I no idea. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. I it's not a government mailing. But, but anyway, so DeJoy, his postmaster general, he has no real qualifications to be in that position. Um, and he has a lot of financial stake in many other... Uh, mailing like competitors competitor but like businesses like things that shouldn't like it's it's it feels even weird to call them a competitor because it's just it's apples and oranges um right but he has in in alignment with trump the thing that he's primarily being called to testify for is the fact that he has ordered many of the mail sorting machines to be shut down and removed. And removed, which obviously slows down everything, because, you know, like everything in this country, there's so many people, so much happening, so much mail, that there needs to be machines to sort it, so that you know, the postal workers can properly, and at a, at a good speed, deliver them. And also, hasn't been on wide scale, but there have been cities, including the city I live in, New York, uh, that you will see trucks having removed uh, mailboxes, the big blue ones on the sidewalk, that they have been unbolted, taken off the sidewalk, and taken away. Um, it's happened, I think, in Eugene, Oregon, some uh, Wisconsin, North Carolina. It happened in New York City, um, which is crazy. That's a bizarre sight. And, I mean, because to me... It's, the, just, it's just one of those things that it's, you know, their argument is that it's something they do periodically um, based on the volume of mail. And maybe that's true in some cases, but you would think that a well-managed organization would say, with all the discussion of the Postal Service and everything going on right now, let's don't start moving mailboxes around. Let's don't start taking uh, sorting equipment offline. Well, I'm also fairly certain that during the coronavirus pandemic, there's been more mail than ever. I think there's been different types of mail. I mean, I might I might have a biased view because I was using the mail a lot, but um, but the fact I think, pack, I, think I think packages mailing of packages has gone way up. They right. Normal letter mail, invoices and things like that have gone down because so many businesses. But the one, the, I don't know what the net difference right, is. Right, but the argument of, I mean, there's no other, I mean, the fact that Trump flat out said it, that he is trying to, uh, he's trying to make sure that there cannot be universal mail-in ballot, he just said that, like, verbatim, and, right. and that mailboxes are being removed, and that the ones that aren't being removed, a lot of them are having this red or orange, like, block, like, locked to the, to the thing you feed the mail through, and... Like, there's, to me, there's no clear form of, oh, he is just trying to stop mail. <laughs> right, I mean, if, if he's not intentionally trying to stop mail, he's certainly doing everything he can to make it look that way. Right. And then even in addition to that, a lot of, um, uh, like, polling, um, like, the registrar that, you know, accepts the votes for particular municipality or county or whatever, mm -hmm. set up drop boxes where you can drop off your ballot right uh, so you don't have to put it in the mail you can just take it to um like say a police department in your local area in the right. box and you can drop it off they're trying to eliminate 
those as well. They're trying to say right. that they're not secure and they're not safe. And it's not like you have it in front of a grocery store parking lot or something. It's typically in like a government office, like a police department right. or, you know, the office where you go to pay your county taxes or, Which, you know, a place that's secure. Something that's interesting, I was, t- I was talking about this with my uh, roommate, is that for whatever reason, I, I always feel like the Americans have this bizarre sense of the only honor code we do follow is the one that we don't open someone else's mail. Like, like I don't know anybody that's... Like, it's just this weird thing of, like, you know, like, I'm afraid to take somebody else's mail. Like, not afraid, but it's, like, it's in your brain that you just don't do that. And it's yeah. and it's just funny that the weirdly, even the criminals and crooks and whoever you want to call the most honest we all are is we just don't touch someone's mail because there was a funny tweet going around of like, you know, if you're not afraid to lose the USPS, you know, and you smoke really good weed that you get in a package from, you know what I'm saying? Like, then you better be afraid right now. And I mean, you, when you exchange your passport, you mail it, you know, it's like it. And, and when you eliminate that, you're not just suppressing the vote, but like, uh, veterans get their prescriptions through the mail, um, uh, the elderly receive social security through the mail. Small businesses who can't afford to use things like maybe UPS or FedEx have to use the mail and use the mail right. often. And it's just, you know, you're I mean, if you live if you live in a rural place and you order something online from Amazon or right. eBay or somebody, um, UPS or FedEx probably don't come to your house. Right. And so if your carrier if the carrier of the package you ordered uses, uh, say, UPS, for example, UPS will get it to your local post office. Right. The post office takes it from there. So it's not just regular mail, even. It's If you live in a remote area, that's, like, the only way that you get mail. Right. And that's why a company like UPS or FedEx can make so much money, because they're only going to go to places where they make money. Right. They're not going to go somewhere where they have to drive 50 miles to one house. And so basically it's just it's it's incredibly clear cut that they're doing this to you know it's statistically proven that the more people vote the more democrats tend to win or get more votes and Trump is I don't you know I don't want to jinx anything but he's not doing well poll wise he's not doing horrible but he's just not doing as well as 4 years ago and Biden, the, the, the space between them is starting to lengthen and or widen. And I just think that he he's flailing, you know, because at a certain point, he can't claim victory on anything. He can't rally anybody around anything that he's done well at this point, because he hasn't. The economy's disaster. We're in a pandemic for longer and worse than we should have been. You know, the unemployment rate. I mean, we're this is the greatest economic disaster since the Depression. It, uh, what was it, two weeks ago, we had the largest uh, GDP crash in our entire history as a nation. And, you know, it's like, not, I mean, these things are real, and it's not like, I, I've spoken with friends by saying, you know, even, even some of his supporters, not his core base, because they won't go anywhere, but some people who you know, maybe we're shaky to back him, but backed him because he said he was a Republican. There's only a certain amount of things you can be blind to, a certain amount of things you can forgive. And at a certain point, it's like he's he's done so bad for so many 
that now all he can do is just try to prevent people from voting. And the scary thing about that is he's calling into question the legitimacy of the election at all. That's the, that's the scariest part. I mean, today he said that, you know, maybe they're going to have to do have a do-over. Right. There's no facility in the law for a do-over. My fear is that, you know, no, no dictator or... And, and, I, and I don't want to sound hyperbolic... But it's, you know, I listened to a, uh, there's a political journalist, uh, an Iranian-American uh, named Saman Arbabi, who has covered, you know, anytime there's turmoil in the Middle East in the, since the 80s or 90s, uh, yeah, because he was born in the 80s, so pretty much since the late 90s, early 2000s, he's been there to cover them. And he has said, not only is America acting like a third world nation, or, or a developing nation, he said. Um, you know, no dictator comes out and says, I'm dictator now. But the but he is moving and operating like every fascist dictator right before they become that. Right. And it's now it's our responsibility of whether or not we allow it. And But where are the counter moves from the people in his party? I, I don't you know I feel like Say, wait a minute, you can't tear down the Postal Service. You know, wait a minute, you can't do, you can't legislate from the executive office by executive order. I mean, they just stand by and allow him to do and say the craziest stuff. I don't know what's going on where I feel like his closest, like, political allies, other than his family members, like, it's almost like a weird maybe Stockholm Syndrome where, like, they don't think, like, he'd really... Be but like Mitch McConnell, for example, <laughs> like, with, I don't... you know, Mitch McConnell with the extended unemployment benefits and a relief package, just stepped back and said, well, I'm going to let the White House negotiate with the um, Senate Democrats and, and House Democrats. That's not how the system is supposed to work. And since when does a, a legislative party give away their power? I don't know. Why would they give away their power? I'm baffled. I don't know. I mean, I'm answerless. Because, I mean, but every, but, so this journalist, uh, or Bobby, he said, you know. I'll give you the answer. <laughs> the answer is he doesn't want to be, McConnell doesn't want to be stained by whatever the White House does. And he wants to just be above the fray. Sure. But that's, but he's going to get blamed anyway. But if, but then all of a sudden, you know, if six months down the line, we have like Supreme Leader Trump or whatever. I mean, like. Then you know Congress is screwed on that front. I mean, it's it's. He'll say he never saw it coming. Right, right, and th what they're going to try to do is spin it like the Democrats were unable to prevent this. They've they've politicized someone trying to become a fascist leader, and that and and what should be is that should be a non like a bipartisan. We just can't have that happen. It should be totally agreed upon. And and so this journalist, our Bobby, said, you know, every move and everything Trump is doing is everything that a dictator has done before, especially ones that have come out of the developing nations in the Middle East, where, you know, question the media, blame the media. He is, and it's a lot of things that might be doing separately, but you can connect the dots. He's building a very strange 13-foot wall around the White House. Um, right. Like an anti-climb wall. Yeah. I, um, he, to, like, to seclude... I, to, I don't know, isolate the White House. 
He's questioning the legitimacy of the election. He's stopping the mail. He's, I mean, and my fear is he'll do it and, so, like, nobody... He's promoting networks like... OAN. You know, what is it? OAN. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. And... Because, oh, yeah, well, now he's, he's shitting on Fox News. Because apparently they're not nice to him now. And and uh, he is, you know, nobody comes out and flat out says, oh, I'm, I'm, you know, dictator now. But what I fear is election day will come and go. And what he will say is, well, we have to wait and see until we're sure. I should stay until we know for sure. And then you'll just kick the can until and so what happens is and I'm I'm I have no doubt he will he will do that is saying I need I'm gonna stay until we know for sure who's won, and then he keeps prolonging. Well, we can't really know. We we're, how 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 could we know? And then what has to happen is the checks and balance. Like I don't know where the checks and balances are of the Supreme Court or the somebody's or you know this or the uh, oversight powers of Congress like need to say you cannot do that. And that's, I, think consti- I think constitutionally, uh, the Electoral College has a certain amount of time until they have to vote mm-hmm. um, to say who is president. I don't know exactly how it all go down, but I think you're right that his goal is to muddy the waters so much that people don't accept the validity of the outcome. And the only way to overcome that is for him to lose by such a big margin. But there's a lot of other things that could be done, like back to the Postal Service. Let's fund them and make sure that they can handle the mail between now and then. Let's make sure there's a way that you can drop off your ballot at a place that doesn't require to go through the mail. You know, early voting. The states that have early voting, take advantage of that. The states that don't have it, see if you can get some, you know, pressure your legislature to implement some kind of early voting as a you know special case, right? Um, well, that yeah. The closer it is, the the closer the vote is, the easier it is, you know, for him to make that argument. Another thing is, in a lot of places, they can't start counting the absentee ballots until the polls close, right? Which and then and then you know Trump will complain, well, it's taking too long to get the count. And in states where you have to compare the signatures, and you know, there's a lot of work involved with the paper ballots, the mailed-in ballots. Mm-hmm. They should be able to start counting them, you know, as soon as they receive them. Right. And, I, you know, what I hope is, I do hope with Congress returning and DeJoy testifying that maybe, I'm pessimistic, but that maybe a lot of these points will be touched on. Um, but something that I found on a positive note in reference to voting, did you uh, happen to watch the any of the DNC convention, the Zoom convention? I did. I actually to say I did not. No, it's fine. I mean, I can understand. I mean, the DNC is. Uh, I read the Washington Post and the New York Times this morning. Right. I mean, the DNC is uh, frustrating and troublesome. Just, I mean, they're you know, I don't, I don't particularly hold them in high favor, but, but, uh, I actually, in a bizarre sense, I thought that this DNC, at least night one, was way more powerful and positive than any of the previous. I, I, in a weird way, I liked the goofiness of it being stripped. The balloons and the, like, it's, like, the... Like, we're not... I don't want to party right now. 
Like, I don't... Yeah, like, and they're usually pretty boring anyway, because you... I mean, in my lifetime, I've always known, I think... Mm-hmm. I think in my lifetime, they've always known what the outcome is. Right, and it, but it's just like, get the glitz and the glamour, like, I'm not... We're not celebrating anything right now. Just give me the meat, right. tell me what you want to say, but something that was... part Parts of it were, you know, goofy, like all, like, you know, they always are. I thought that there was a segment of Republicans for Biden that I'm not sure how that will play over because uh, yeah. it was it was uh, like Kasich and company. Um, yeah, I but wasn't that down with that. I don't think the progressives are going to respond well to that. But I mean, but and I don't think that they are the Republicans that are really going to sway other Republicans. Doug Jones gave a good speech, and. Uh, the the Democratic senator out of Alabama, um, I'm I'm missing some, but uh, Bernie gave Bernie gave a really good speech and Michelle Obama. Well, I was about to as in regard to voting, I was going to reference Obama, um, but but yes, Bernie gave that was the most he I that he I've ever heard him advocate for another candidate in such a way, where. He, he, like his speeches are always in reference to his policy, but this is the first time where he's ever so explicitly said to hit to his supporters, "If you love me, vote for Biden. Yeah. If you follow me like you say you do, please do as I ask right now." And it was way more of a of a rallying cry than he ever did for Hillary. And some people question that. I think it's because. We were fools to not... We just didn't think Trump could do... You know what I'm saying? Like, like the urgency... He couldn't possibly be as bad as he turned out to be. Right, and the urgency... Your imagination was not that good. Right, and the urgency that he would defeat Hillary was not so urgent. Like, it just seemed, you know, like... And also, Sanders, I just particularly don't think, really likes Hillary at all. And... But he came out and was just, you know, all right, well, please vote for her. It's the right thing to do. But I don't think he felt it that much. But he does respect Biden. And he knows that with Biden, he'll have a seat at the table. And not just him. I I think that there's a decency to Biden that, you know, the Clintons don't possess. I mean, I think Biden is a a decent man. And And the time, this is a different time. And the progressives are getting increasing power in Congress especially right. the House, and that is going to force Biden to be more progressive than right. he would have been four years ago, definitely more progressive than Hillary ever would have been. And and so when Sanders, you know, doing such a thing, it was, you know, he was saying, like, look how much we've been able to accomplish on our own agenda in four years, um, you know, just in the progressive side of it, the far left, the Democratic Socialists, and he was saying, you know, basically... Not just him getting a seat at the table, but everybody in that ideology will get a seat at the table with Biden. And right. and so that was really good. The showcasing of Biden's character, you know, he him taking the Amtrak every day and just and that was a cool contrast of saying, you know, like Trump's never taken public transit ever. Right. And Biden is upset that he can't take Amtrak anymore. Like, you know, like he like yeah. he loves they said, you know, that the conductor of that Amtrak train that he they developed such a good relationship that the conductor had a heart attack when he when Biden was vice president and after he said the conductor said, you know, oh, I'm in the I was in the barbershop 
and the vice president called my cell phone. Right. Not and not even the 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 operator for the vice like the like Biden himself. Yeah. I'm sure and I'm sure a situation of like why do I need a secretary to call him? I'm gonna call him. Like yeah. what you, like what are you doing, Jack? Get out of here. And like you know and so he called and so and he was the conductor was saying like and I'm I'm sure if I told anybody in the barber shop, oh I just got off you know oh well, my friend the vice president just called me, they'd all say he was crazy. But that but that is the type <laughs> of guy Biden is. Where and so and that's where it really honed down to the theme really last night was empathy and the fact that Trump doesn't have any. And then Okay, well this ties into something that I am fascinated by hmm. and that is uh, the uh, president's brother Robert Trump passing away. Yes. And uh, so Donald Trump, president, went to visit him last Friday in the hospital in New York right. and said he knew that his brother was probably going to pass away, like, very soon. Sure. And then he went to play golf. Yep. And played golf all weekend. And now he's saying maybe he'll have a little funeral service in the White House. Okay. Like, I... How does any person who says that they believe in family values and has any sort of religious inclination his supporters look at that and look at that and not think like wow that's that's pretty disturbing his like, supporters don't care there's because they'll come back with well trump trump has you know a lot on his mind and a lot to deal with if if he had an overseas trip planned you know a summit or he was having somebody come here or he was like working day and night trying to solve this pandemic, you know, problem. Right. But he went to play golf. Well, that was the, I'm sure you read, it's a, it's a, you know, excellent headline stealer of the Bernie quote of Nero fiddled while Rome burned Trump yeah. golfs. Well, and when his brother Freddie died, he went to the movies. He does, and, but the thing is, is that his supporters don't care. They don't. I just. To, I, I don't know. Just like that is a, like a despicable human being. Forget about the politics of the. Yes. Person. It's just. It's just a horrible human being. He's disgusting. Like, who does that? He's. He, he, both his parents are dead. He has, his younger brother or older brother, is dead. He has two sisters that are alive. His younger brother just died. It's his two sisters. They're the only ones left. You would think. That he would cons he would be there to console his sisters and vice versa. He would be there to hold his brother's hand. Like I just blows my mind. And the thing is that's scary is it's just it's a non-issue to his supporters. They they're not talking about it. They don't care. Trump's got a lot I'm to not, deal with. That's what they're saying. I'm the only guy like googling when is Robert Trump's funeral because I just can't. No, I'm in the same page I as you. Wrap my brain around. What's it. unfortunate and you know and and unfortunate to. You know his brother. I don't particularly know much about him, but you know he's clearly not getting any family support that he should be, or his legacy. Or I, I don't know if he has. For all I know, he's a horrible person, so I don't want to say legacy. But he was estranged from his brother for years. Okay. And only when Donald Trump decided to run for president did they reconcile. And that's Donald Trump's purported best friend. Okay. Um, well, point being is what's unfortunate is. You know his funeral and his life is being kind of dropped, lost in the in the in the wind because his supporters don't care because they're going to say Trump's got so much to deal with, he's got so much on his mind. How could he pop? He that's why he needs to golf to clear his mind. And then the 
on the on the left, it's being lost in the wind because we're just not even surprised and just mad at Trump about everything that we can't even focus on one. We just hate him so much, and so it's just it's just another thing that he's done that's despicable, or I guess well, not I'm done. Just, I'm just fixated on it. It just blows my mind well, that Trump. Ha- Trump. Like, is- so when so Robert Trump came to work for Donald Trump. Right. When Donald Trump had three executives die in a helicopter accident and he was uh, getting ready to open the Taj Mahal Casino in Atlantic City. Right. He had Robert Trump come to work for him when those three executives were killed in the helicopter crash and Robert took over one of the executive positions. And then when the casino opened, they had a problem with the slot machines Mm -hmm. and they weren't able to open the whole floor and the casino lost a lot of money the first couple months because... Right. The casino commission wouldn't let him open up all their slot machines. And in a meeting with other executives, he screamed at Robert Trump that it was all his fault. Robert Trump got up, got up walked out of the room, and never came back. Right. He, Fred Trump, Donald Robert's father, was still alive. And Robert went to work for his father managing or working somehow in real estate in Queens and Brooklyn. Okay. And he and Donald Trump remained estranged until Donald Trump decided to run for president. So presumably, in those years, Mm -hmm. Robert Trump had some kind of life outside of a relationship with his brother and has family, friends, I don't know, people that he was close to. So now he's passed away and his brother says, oh, well, maybe we'll have a little service at the White House or something. Like, what about all his friends? Or maybe he doesn't have any friends. But, I mean, it just... It just to me well, the is thing, like nuts. The reason why we're upset is because we. Why is he? Why is Donald Trump even responsible for organizing the funeral? And why does he get to have it at the White House? We're upset because we have ethics. The thing that's upset. I mean, Trump just isn't ethical. He's not a good. He's a psychopathic, sociopathic. But all this stuff, it's like all these people that claim that they're you know family people and. Family values. Well, Biden is gonna just is gonna destroy God to Trump. Well, that's a whole other topic, you know. Like, look at all this terrible stuff happening. This is gonna be Biden's America. I'm like, wait a minute, this right. is Trump's America. It's today. Well, yeah. So, I mean, it's another example. I mean, it's you know, it's it's just another despicable thing. To revert back, just to lastly uh, touch on voting for the final stamp of that. Something that I think the greatest part of the DNC convention especially with using Michelle Obama and I believe on Thursday or Wednesday Barack Obama will speak um you get Bill Clinton in there sometime to, uh, yeah and uh <laughs> um another one that might not go well with the progressives but uh yeah. Bill's catching some heat right now and I that's a that's a topic for another day, but I but anyway, yeah. um, they could have left him off the schedule, right? And anyway, something that Michelle does very well, Michelle Obama, and something that Barack Obama does very well, and something that I think the DNC adapted so the DNC did did this really well and adapted quickly to the times. The Michelle Obama speech is similar to an FDR fireside chat. That's what I heard. Where it was calm but urgent. It was close up just like on her face and shoulders it was nurturing but informative 
And it, I mean, it was her at her best. That's what that is what Michelle Obama does well. She's America's mom. I mean, she's she. Do- and I like that she drew a little shade with the "it is what it is" line. Yes, and but so, the thing I think she did best was she explained how to vote. Right. That that has never been more important than it is now. Of well, one thing, uh, just personal experience living here in Mexico, uh, there is a website which I should know what it is, and I don't know off the top of my head, but you go to it and you say what state you live in mm-hmm. and then it has you fill out a form that automatically goes to that um, state uh, to um, have your application for an absentee or mail-in ballot whatever your state happens to call it mm-hmm. and in the state of North Carolina which has very good early voting yes um, it does and it's where I'm registered uh, they also allow you to vote by email right so depending on where people are if they're worried about mail-in ballots that's a i mean if north carolina is doing it there must be a lot of states that are doing it because north carolina isn't a super progressive state right but they they email you a regular paper ballot print it out fill it out uh scan it and email it back so right. you don't have to rely on the email and you get a confirmation from the secretary of state saying that they received it right and that's great and and so yeah, I mean, just she the explanation of, you know, you can fill out an absentee ballot, like something that something that I'm also talking to people about is, if you're worried about the mail, fill out your mail-in ballot, but drop it off at your county board of elections. Right. Exactly. And so that way you don't have to stand in line and vote in person. They will accept yep. your absentee ballot, but you're skipping yep. if you're if you're worried. And so. Which is probably what I myself will do, and but she, I mean, Michelle Obama just did an excellent. I mean, it's no surprise, but an excellent job, and I think that um, a fireside chat style will actually benefit Biden as well. Yeah, he can he can pre-record it. He can, exactly. you know, but he can talk. Like if you noticed, I'm sure I believe his advisors are telling he's speaking more slowly. Yes. He's, and, and that, I mean, a lot of it is just, he does have a stutter, but there are certain things that he just says that a stutter cannot cause or prevent. Um, but, but yeah, and I, I think that it will, in a weird way, kind of stripping the foolishness of it, I think that this is a better received convention already. I, I think it's, I mean, when you watch the real convention live, there's a lot of just downtime in between, you know, one speaker and the next right. speaker, and the speakers have like ridiculously short amounts of time to speak sometimes, and mm-hmm. a lot of chatter from the, you know, whatever channel you happen to be watching mm-hmm. it on, you know, whether it's NPR, Fox, CNN, whatever. There's, you know, a whole panel of people just filling time by saying nonsense. Right. So even though it's more more um, slickly produced, I guess. Right. It might turn out to be more informative in a way. It, know, they can really have yeah. a theme and sort of stick to the theme. It is. The thing that I would encourage, though, is um, if you have a subscription to New York Times or Washington Post, obviously watch it maybe on there. Or you can watch it on PBS because yeah. um, a lot of, especially Fox News, pretty much any time... 
a Democrat was speaking, their anchors were just speaking over them, or not showing it, or you know not or not presenting the information that was maybe most useful. Sometimes uh, it's good just to watch and listen, mm-hmm. like do DNC.com or something without any commentators. Right. Sometimes the commentators influence. But the the commentators, especially on Fox, were purposely cutting out or speaking over a lot of the you know like Doug Jones they completely spoke they muted his audio right and spoke over him and so I would suggest trying to get as much of the direct source as possible because I really don't give a shit what Sean Hannity has to say about any of this no and but back just back to voting real quick there's a million different ways you can ensure that your vote gets yes uh, properly counted like don't don't rely on uh, the postal service if you're worried about the postal service I just like that she kind of, you know, and, and it's been known that there is an option for us to have control of our votes. And right. we, you know, we cannot let Trump's out of options. It's clear. Like, meaning, what, now he's just trying to make sure we don't vote? It shows that he has no other card to play. Well, I mean, this morning he, you know, just tweeted away and everything wrong with Michelle Obama's speech and like you know he talks so much about ratings and things like but there's no leadership there's no governance there's no well, you look ideas at, there's no nothing you look at the speakers across the board for the DNC I mean say what you want about the speakers but as far as like Democrat heavy hitters you have all of them they're all speaking and yeah. everyone from John Kerry to AOC I mean, they're all coming out to stump for Biden and Kamala. And I want to make sure everybody knows it is Kamala, not Kamala. It's just, it's just, I understand, but just get her fucking name right. Because it just bothers me. But It's in the, it's in the preface of her uh, autobiography, the very beginning. And by the way, my name is Kama, like the... Yeah, but it uh, doesn't... Punctuation mark. I mean, she's not being, you know, annoying about it, and, like, I don't think she really corrects anybody, but it's just, it, look, give her the respect, call her by her proper name, like, right. you know, I don't, you know, people don't, you wouldn't want people calling you Michelle, like, although in Mexico, right. I'm sure it happens a lot. <laughs> Tuker, Tuker Carlson. Oh, yeah, so it's just, I don't know, it's just, it's, her name's not hard, and, um, but, you know, you look at the list, and maybe they're not... I was interested to see who's speaking at the RNC convention, which is taking place in Charlotte and D.C. I don't, for whatever reason. Um, They're having fireworks, and or they applied for a permit to have fireworks at the Washington Monument after Trump speaks. Great. Like 11, 11.30 at night. Um, great. Well, <laughs> I looked at the, there are no announced speakers, except Trump and Pence, except... Do you remember uh, the white couple that drew guns on the Black Lives Matter protesters? In St. Louis, yeah. I saw that they were going to... They're going to speak. Participate somehow. They're they're speaking. Oh, great. And and that's it. That's all I... I mean, there will be more, but obviously, but that is all that I can say. Because in my... Even even the the Republicans that have sworn to Trump... no, but I don't think anybody wants to touch it with a 10-foot pole. I don't think, I mean, I doubt McConnell, what, McConnell's going to speak? He'll, he'll probably get a bunch of state and local 
people like that. A uh, woman who just got elected who believes in the QAnon. QAnon. Uh, Which, probably... do you know, if you don't, I can explain QAnon. Yeah, I mean, I understand. I mean, okay. I don't understand. I know what it is. I know that the Democrats are keeping children for pedophilia reasons in the basement of a pizza parlor in Washington, D.C., among other things. And, and Trump's Trump the only is... one to stop them. Yeah, Trump is going to save all these children, yeah. Mind you, Trump has a court case on him of a 13-year-old girl saying that he raped her. So, you know. But yeah, Trump's going to stop pedophilia. Um, But, so any, but yeah, it might be that. It'll probably be like Kushner, Ivanka will speak, Melania's going to speak. Like, Melania... Oh, yeah. So, I mean, but it's just going to be, I, I feel as though... That's pretty much his government's come down to family. Right. But it's going to, yeah. And it, on. It's just going to be like, I, I think the the zing and appeal of the RNC convention, I, I just, I can't, I can't fathom it being exciting in any, and not just because I don't agree with the politics, but I just don't see... I mean, what can they say? You know, Kushner is on the news circuits right now saying that they sh- we should be thanking them for the success of their, you know, how they handled COVID. And I cannot remember who the news anchor was, but he questioned Kushner by saying, how can you call it a success? And then you have the journalist in one of the White House press conferences recently uh, asking Trump, you know, are you ashamed of all the lying that you've done to Americans? Yeah, he's from the Huffington Post. And which, you know, I, I, but it's, and, and yeah, and, and, you know, all their claims of victory are being immediately questioned. And so I just feel, you know, Fox News will, I just, what I'm thinking, and, and not to ramble, but I just think, the, obviously Fox News and OAN and, you know, and Breitbart are going to say it was great. But while Fox News struggles on how to insult Kamala, because they really can't, the RNC convention, I feel, will be eviscerated. Because they have no leg to stand on. Yeah, I don't know. I'm like, uh... There's still a lot of people, though, out there that, you know, just... Of course. Think, think Trump is great, and, you know, there's substance. Like, you and I look at, look at it and say, like, oh, well, one side has substance and ideas and right. energy and, um thinking about ways how to fix the economy and get people back to work and, you know, come up with real reasonable ways to live with the virus until there's a vaccine. And the other side's like, just open everything up. Everything's going to be fine. Shut up. Stop being a baby. Go back to work. Forgetting about the fact there's no jobs to go back to for a lot of people. Right. um, It's just back to our earlier uh, topic of, you know, Trump not wanting to leave. Like, it's just so important Trump to lose by a lot, you know, so that it's right. just unquestionable that he lost and to lose some Republican states so we can't say, oh, it's just Democrat, Democratic mm-hmm. uh, secretaries of state and, you know, it's a conspiracy, it's rigged and all that. I, I think the heat is starting to build in a sense of the more Trump's, like, the more Trump speaks, I think he does damage to himself and... Uh, and then now we're be- step we're at step one of more of, of the opposition speaking 
And I'm meaning, like, I don't think this will be the first time, you know, Bernie is going to speak. Like, he's going to continue to speak. I think that, you know, this surmounting, especially this week, of so many people having quotable lines. I mean, the thing that's beneficial about the DNC in this way is you can cut it up and clip it out and send it as advertisements, post it everywhere, like, have True. such a wide net of sending it targeted audiences, you know, have it everywhere, and yeah. flood it, and they're already doing that. And to, like, the more the opposition speaks, it benefits the opposition, and the more Trump speaks, I think it hurts Trump. Granted, his core will never budge, but what we're looking for is, will more people vote for Biden than voted for Hillary? And I think yes. And, yeah. and that I think also the thing that's going to help, so the DNC I actually think might help, and then also, and, and when I say help, like I just said, Trump's voters are not budging. So fuck them, forget them. What we're looking for is increasing Biden voters. We, well, all those people that said, you know, oh, I'm going to give a businessman a shot. You know, I'm going to give Trump a shot. How bad could it be? I would hope that like 99% of those people decide, you know what, it's, it's bad. It's bad. And, and so, so, yeah, so it's like the Trump core, the crazy Trumpers, I'm not even, whatever. They're not going to go anywhere. They're obviously voting for him. So what the DNC is trying to do is get just more, more, just more people to vote. And, and, and I, because that will, what that's what's going to help Biden and Harris. And, um, the, and, and, and now I'm <laughs> losing my train of thought. I'll have to cut this part out. Okay. Well, here's, here's, um, some friends of ours or two friends of ours that are both, you know, liberal people mm -hmm. have been sending around a thing on Facebook saying that Biden should refuse to debate and to, there's some petition, I guess you can sign I don't agree trying with to get that. people to sign it. And Patty, your stepmom, and yes. I responded to the, that, well, Patty responded to that person like, I totally disagree. I mean, if you, like, if you're that afraid of Biden mm -hmm. debating, then you're supporting the wrong guy. Right. You know? And I'm not saying I won't be on pins and needles when <laughs> Biden is in a debate, but, right. um, like, how could he possibly make a gaffe that's well, any worse than the kind of crazy stuff that comes out of Trump's mouth? Well, I mean, two things, I mean, I, what, that, this actually comes back to the point that was I was sounding uh, insane for a second, but it was, what I was about to say is <laughs> something that's going to help the, and I'm gonna I'm gonna loop back to what you just said is the Harris Pence debate is also gonna help attract Biden voters because I think you know Kamala at first made some people nervous but the more I think the more opportunity she has a chance to speak the more voters that she will attract because right. she's that's just she's good at it and she is going to eviscerate Pence Pence does I mean she went to school on how to argue she does it well. <laughs> It was her job. And and especially somebody like Pence, who has no backbone, no real thoughts. I mean, Pence has, like, he's not done anything other than just be a backdrop to, tr to Trump. And so she's just going to smoke his ass. And it's going to, I'm excited as hell for it. And I think it, it'll attract Harris, because what it'll showcase is, I think Harris is going to make it very clear that when she and Biden win, they are not done with Pence and Trump. 
and that I think. I mean, I, I think there's a little bit of a fine line there. I think hinting at that is well, better than. Well, I know, but I'm I'm just know. saying the 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 debate. I think is it's, I think she's just going to come off very polished yet firm and driven. And well, one thing that about her in the debate that I think is really going to be um, interesting to watch and and uh, um, ben, uh, I don't know it's like a good format for her because a lot of times the candidates will go in and you can tell they've learned like a handful of scripted lines mm-hmm. and they're just trying to figure out a way to like work that scripted line into the debate and sometimes it works and sometimes it's like Ugh, right that was painful but as a prosecutor. You know, she would go into say her closing arguments with a script, right? And you know, but not read it. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's the themes, it's the points that she wants to make, and I think she's skilled at that in a way yes. that she will probably have some scripted lines to say. But when she says them, I think they'll come off as being much more spontaneous. Like it just thought, you know, like the thought just popped into her head to say it, and she, she said it as she, opposed to like practicing. She has the skill of, this, you know, might be a stretch of, like, uh, she is, like, and, like, okay, and hear me out. So a lot of people say, you know, and I, I'm, I'm one of this camp, that, you know, Lil Wayne is the best, is one of the best rappers that have ever existed. Right? I always said that, too. I, I know. And, but one of the, but one of the reasons why is... Every single song that he's ever created is he doesn't write his lyrics, right? It's all he's an incredible freestyler. But with that being said, it doesn't mean that he's never written his lyrics. It means that he has this book, like like so. What I'm saying is Kamala, she's the freestyle rapper of debates. Is like okay. she has. It's not saying that she doesn't have stuff written somewhere. But she's able to pull from things here, pull from things there, and then just within herself and confidence, able to format it on the spot. Right. And then I think on the other side, you have Pence, who's really performing for an audience of one. Right. And I think there's a lot of pressure to be, you know, subservient and to flatter the president and constantly say how great the president is. And that really comes off as just completely unbelievable in these times you right. know, to, to really be complimentary about anything the president's done. And she she's uh, going to run circles around him to where, you know, a lot of times when you're preparing for debates, you know, you'll have somebody write what they think the opposition will be and to test you. But the thing is, is Kamala can come at him from infinity angles and to where he's just going to, I think he's just going to look shaken. And like, just because he, anything he says, she's just going to gut him. I hope so. I mean, I feel pretty good about it. I'm not sure about the uh, Trump and Biden well, debate, but I think, I think it's really important that they I know, they yeah. both agree to do it and they do it. Well, yes, and I think that. So what I was leaning towards is now to reference Biden back to what you know you just said of like, of course he should agree. I think you know if he if he doesn't, which I I think he will. But if he doesn't, it's just going to feed... I mean, in- he already has. Right, but it's just going to feed into the eligibility of the election if he chooses not to debate. I mean, it's... Right, it's, and he's hiding in the It's going to feed that narrative. Um, something that I think Biden... I think Biden's going to do well because I believe his advisors are hopefully telling him, 
just let Trump talk. Because the more he screams at you and just acts like a child, and you just kind of stand there like, okay, like it's gonna, it's only gonna make him look petulant and crazy. And right. and then just ask him, like, ask him, just why did you do this? Why did you do that? You said this. Why? Like, just kind of keep turning it on him. And just yeah. let him talk. Just let him go. And and he's just gonna look petulant. Um, I was kind of, I was kind of saying something like that, and Patty was saying that he should just say more something along the lines of, you know, it's interesting that you would say that, mm-hmm. and then just kind of leave it there and go on and answer the question. But a lot will depend on the moderators mm-hmm. and what kind of real time fact checking there is. It's going to be a problem if they just let Trump babble and say all kinds of stuff that's not true, right? And and not call him on it. I mean, if either candidate does that, they should be called on it. Right. Well, I think if Bi- what Biden could do best is, if he is speaking in regard to Trump, just flip, keep flipping it on him, ask him why. And then other than that, I almost think it'd be beneficial to pretend he's not even there. And, yeah. and, and usually one of the debates is more like a town hall format where you have to interact with the audience. Mm-hmm. Although I guess that probably won't work right now. They probably won't have an audience, but maybe like... Uh, Zoom audience or something. Sure. And Biden is definitely a much more empathetic that's person. His, that's his bread and butter. Exactly. And yeah. and um, but yeah, I mean, he's when he is speaking, if he if he's answering a question, just say what he's going to do. Pretend Trump's not even there, because then that's just going to drive Trump even crazier. Yeah, I agree. And and something that you also have, like that, I'm encouraging people to remember is. Everybody talked about like how Biden's performance in the Paul Ryan debate with him, where you know he I think like he cro- he smoked him, right, and he did so well, and that's I think a version of Biden we're gonna get because something that I found interesting by watching the DNC convention because a lot of people said oh his performance in the DNC debates was super low like low energy it's like he wasn't trying, and a lot of it was. He respected everybody on the stage, and I think he agreed with everybody on the stage. And then come to find, watching the DNC convention, Cory Booker and Harris and 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 uh, Klobuchar and and Gillibrand, like everybody said in the in commercial breaks that he'd walk up to them and say how great they're doing and that how yeah. like he thought that their ideas were super good and like. I mean, those debates were. I don't know what the answer was to have a better debate, but they were kind of waste of everybody's time they were and then the reason you know yeah and the reason why i say well biden didn't perform well and it's because i think that i think he was like part of him was enjoying hearing everybody's smart ideas because it said right. like as soon as the commercial cut he like walked up and like gave me a hug and said this yeah. was cory booker like oh my god you're fantastic i'm honored to share the stage with you you have such bright ideas yeah. and then and then he has to pretend that i'm here to defeat you and yeah. that's not where his heart was and so well he, so I think we're both in agreement that the debates are important, and we called out our friends that were saying that. And, um, right. They didn't get back to us, but I thought that was kind of a bad idea. Yeah, I mean, it's it's effective for the debate, and I think it will happen, and it will be positive. So something that we want to try to close every episode with is something positive that we're going to do this week to say, you know, no matter the turmoil, we can do this standing on our heads, and we're going to be okay. And last week uh, in our practice run, we said that, you know, we're going to – try to read more and and you know learn uh 
you know, multiple viewpoints and you shared books with me. And something that I want to try to do this week is um, just encourage and educate those on how to vote. Yeah. And I think that that, that is the urgency of, of this week, is just helping people, showing them how to vote, where to vote, and that fact that you really can have control of it. So I want to I want to make sure that my dad is able to vote this year. Absolutely. He has his absentee, absentee ballot. He lives in an assisted living community and is not able to really get out and about. Um, but I want to make sure he's all hooked up to that. I don't think he's ever missed an election that I can recall. And until recent years, he always worked the polls too. So right. to make sure that he uh, has a chance to vote. And I have one sister that I want to try to talk to and see if I can't persuade her to open her mind a little bit. I'm not really sure exactly where um, where she, what she's planning to do in terms of voting uh-huh. who, but I, I have an idea and I'm going to talk to her and right. see if I can maybe ask her just to open her mind. And I feel like I know which one you're talking about, and I feel like your other sister ironically might not ironically, but we'll, we'll say, I'll say after the, after the recording who I think you're speaking on, but, <laughs> but there's one who I actually think will end up voting in line with us, but yeah, um, but yeah, and so well that's excellent. And thanks uh, for those who listen. And we're gonna keep coming at you. And that uh, yeah, thank you guys so much. Thank you very much. We'll, we'll talk to you soon. Yeah.